Global Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. If you're involved with a PBS or community access television station or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or perhaps a podcast or just a computer and would like to share the programs, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives. Welcome to today's Global Connections program. I'm Bill Miller. Today, we're going to take a look at an extremely important and interesting agency within the United Nations. That's the International Labor Organization. My guest is an expert on this topic. My guest is Mr. Kevin Cassidy, who is the director and representative to the Bretton Woods and multilateral organizations of the UN's ILO office for the United States in Washington, D.C. Kevin Cassidy, welcome to today's Global Connections program. Glad to be here, Bill. I appreciate you being with me. Let's jump right into it. What, what's the basic mission of the ILO? I think you were formed back about right after World War I, around 1919. So you've got quite a, quite a pedigree going there. What, what is your main mission? Yeah, so you know the ILO uh, predates the UN, but we now are a technical agency of the UN. Um, you know, the, the ILO was brought into being at a time when economies were changing. Uh, we had a new concept called capitalism, and there were really no rules of the road. So the ILO is this unique uh, international institution that looks at that nexus of the social, the economic, and the political spheres and helps to shape the world of work. So we are, as I said, a technical agency, uh, but we're also a normative agency. So we set the international standards, uh, the juridical frameworks in the world of work. Uh, and we do that through a tripartite structure. It's the only tripartite organization in the UN uh, where the governments, of course, uh, come to the table, but also the actors of the real economy. So workers and employers are the ones who are negotiating how the world of work should operate. Uh, and that not only is uh, efficient in the sense that it takes the um, the words of people who are actually trying to create jobs and those who are looking for jobs, uh, but it also helps move things forward in a process that we call social dialogue. And this is very important so that we can sit at the table as equals and discuss these issues. Because as we know, you know, if there are problems in the world of work, that may spill over into the social sphere, which will spill over into the political sphere and can create uh, problems and dislocations. As far as this office here in Washington is concerned, uh, this is one of the oldest offices. We've been around since 1919. Uh, the first international labor convention took place here. Um, it took place in Washington in 1919. And uh, we are really engaging with our constituents, discussing it with the, the governments, the workers and employers, and other international institutions that are here, such as the World Bank, the Inter-American Inter Development Bank, International Monetary Fund. Uh, but we're also reaching out beyond just our traditional partners and we can talk about that a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And we talk about policies and directions. You've got a new director general, I understand. Uh, Guy Ryder was director general for many, many years. And now you have a new one, Gilbert Wongbo from Tonga. Uh, will the policies change? Or I'm sure every, every new director has a thrust or a, an emphasis that he or she would like to put on a program. 
Exactly. So uh, Director General Huambo uh, is actually focusing on uh, what he sees as the increasing inequalities around the world, you know, in developing countries and emerging economies and in industrialized market economies. So his main focus uh, really kind of goes back to the origins of the ILO, which is advancing social justice and promoting decent work. Um, you know, social justice uh, in many people's minds have different formulations. Uh, we come at it from the uh, definition that was uh, set in the Declaration of Philadelphia. Um, there was a conference in, Phil in uh, Philadelphia at the Temple Law School, and there they framed what social justice is. And it basically goes as follows. All human beings, irrespective of race, creed or sex, have the right to pursue both their material well-being and their spiritual development and conditions of freedom and dignity, of economic security and equal opportunity. Now, how do we achieve that? We are doing that through the Decent Work Agenda, which includes fundamental principles and rights at work, uh, international labor standards, that includes no child labor, no forced labor, uh, no discrimination in the workplace, plus uh, freedom of association, collective bargaining, and now a new fundamental right that last year was uh, adopted on occupational safety and health, which includes violence and harassment at work. Uh, we also are focused on employment, sustainable enterprises, uh, micro and small, medium-sized enterprises, women-run businesses. We're also looking at social safety nets, what we call social protection. And maybe just a little bit on that is to say that during COVID-19, where governments uh, mobilized uh, you know, payments to their citizens to help ensure that the economies didn't grind to a halt. And that meant providing people with income, providing them with access to food and to healthcare and education. And all that happens through the dialogue of those tripartite consultants. Now, the Director General has also implemented four priority action programs, uh, which are transition from informal to formal economy. Many economies around the world are informal. Uh, just transition towards an environmental and sustainable economy and society. So this idea about the mitigation of climate change. Uh, we also have an action program on decent work outcomes in global supply chains, uh, a very important uh, aspect of today's economic structure. And of course, looking at decent work in crisis and post-crisis situations. These could be people fleeing war or persecution or even climate migrants. So, you know, the ILO has a very big agenda, but really rooted in how do we ensure that people have the best outcomes in the world of work? That is so important. It's absolutely critical for every every person who works on the planet, no doubt about it. I'm curious, Kevin, in the past, and maybe I'm wrong on this, I think the ILO is focused mostly, or not mostly, but a large part of the resources and your expertise on economically developing countries. Do you also work with the developed, economically developed countries, of, of Canada, US, France, whatever, and what role do you play there? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting development, uh, Bill. I mean, since I've been here in Washington, of course, you know, we want to ensure that the U.S. government, largely through our main interlocutor, which is at the Department of Labor, but also the Department of State and increasingly the U.S. Trade Representative's Office, it was about looking at these big development issues. How can the U.S. help uh, support the work that we're doing to sort of improve those conditions as well, too? But an important thing occurred to me whilst uh, working here as the director is that it's important to also to share the knowledge base. The ILO has a wealth of knowledge and statistics and expertise around the world in order to address issues that could help actually American and Canadian policymakers uh, see what other uh, countries are doing, what has worked well, what has worked less so. And this has really opened up a new door for us. So I'm doing a lot of outreach, not only here in Washington to our traditional partners, but going out across the United States, talking to people about the world of work. I have very large programs going on with the World Affairs Council of America, a great partner I've been working with uh, 
over the last several years, and also currently now with the Women's Bureau of the Department of Labor, which is a domestic branch, but looking and uh, talking to people basically at the municipality level about violence and harassment in the workplace and how we can ensure that we have more women coming into the workplace. Um, you know, most of the barriers are, you know, sexual harassment and violence in the workplace. It could be about uh, uh, child care issues and it could be about equal pay for work of equal value. So we're really finding that instead of, you know, uh, just focusing on developing uh, countries, also coming back to the U.S. and other developed countries to say, hey, there's a lot of experience and expertise out there that you can draw upon. And it's been absolutely fascinating working with mayors and uh, uh, people in the governments themselves and wastewater reclamation or uh, workforce development issues. So a really interesting uh, sort of chapter that we've opened here in the United States and Canada. And there's so many issues and so much to be done. And a lot of it's being done locally. And of course, a lot of it's being done nationally and internationally and by many of the United Nations agencies and other groups like that. Well, you've got so many really important topics. I mean, we could spend an hour or two on each one. But maybe we could just take a kind of a walk through a quick status update and look at them as to what is the issue, who are the major, what are the major negative repercussions of this particular issue, who are the participants, who's benefiting, who's losing from it, and what can we do to improve the situation? And you mentioned workplace violence. That's a good place to start. And most of it, I'm assuming, is against women. But not always. It's probably, uh, you know, breaks out maybe 90, 10. I don't know what the percentage is. But uh, what, what are you doing in that area to end violence in the workplace? Right. The, the ILO uh, several years ago had almost a unanimous uh, adoption of a convention, Convention 190, which is on eliminating violence and harassment in the workplace. Now, this is really quite important. As I mentioned, one of the biggest challenges that uh, women face in going back into the world of work is the fact that, uh, you know, again, there are certain um, uh, elements uh, such as childcare, which uh, are slightly different. But violence uh, and harassment in the workplace has a manifest way of, uh, of showing its in the world of work. Um, what the Convention 190 is doing, and this is what we're communicating to uh, uh, policymakers around the United States, is that the definition is not just about employment, right? Work is not synonymous with uh, employment. We use that term interactively, but you know there are many different types of work. There are own account workers. There are people who are you know, associates of a company. They may be uh, contract workers. They could be digital workers, gig economy. And so, so when we talk about who is going to be impacted upon this, it has a wider definition, what we call the world of work, not just in employment. That's the first element. The second element is looking at uh, what does violence and harassment in the workplace mean? And it's more than just sexual harassment. It looks at a range of inappropriate behaviors that take place around uh, the workplace. Uh, it looks at uh, how people are impacted on the way to work, coming home from work, uh, traveling to work, um, people who are going on uh, conferences, uh, um, uh, if you look at the trades, you know, people who are have provided um, changing facilities or sanitation and wash up uh, uh, areas and so like in the construction area, you know, a lot of these uh, different types of, uh, of engagement in work uh, are now uh, really being looked at about how do we address these really important issues. And, and of course, lastly, it is to say that, and, and you've uh, hit the nail on the head, it is not only just about women, it is about a wider uh, swath of people, uh, particularly looking at LGBTQIA plus issues and so, and how people are impacted on that. Um, but what we do see, unfortunately, is that migrant women 
all over the world are the ones who are more impacted by uh, un, uh, unwelcomed advances and this inappropriate behavior. Um, but we are working very closely with a number of uh, policymakers. Uh, I've been recently out in uh, Seattle, Washington, for example, and it was a, a wonderful employer uh, that's decided to have a standard wage. It's uh, at a restaurant hospitality um, setting, uh, and they pay everyone $26 an hour. Now, that means that, uh, you know, people don't have to fight for the Friday night or Saturday night crowds to make a lot of money. Their their income is assured because everyone gets the same amount of money. And that has reduced violence and harassment in that workplace and has 100% retention. So we really encourage employers to take a look at how they can improve their bottom lines by ensuring that people uh, who are in that world of work uh, are not subject to violence or inappropriate touching and behaviors. Mm -hmm. And that would be very helpful, too, I think, from the tipping standpoint, which is turning into a hot button issue. Maybe it's just in the United States. I'm not too sure. But it is. It, well, we know it is here. Well, you're watching Global Connections Television, which is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed in Global Connections is, are solely those of the moderator and his guest. We'd invite our viewers to go to our website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous programs. Also, if you're involved with the PBS or Community Access Television Station, or perhaps an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or you just have a podcast or a computer, you like our shows and you'd like to share them, please feel free to do so. Global Connections Television is provided at no cost as a public service to help us better understand international issues and how they impact our lives. Today, we're taking a look at one of the key United Nations agencies, and that is the International Labor Organization. My guest is Mr. Kevin Cassidy. Mr. Cassidy is the director and representative to the Bretton Woods and multilateral organizations of the ILO Office for the U.S. in Washington, D.C. Kevin, we're talking about some of the hot button issues that you're dealing with. Let's we, we dealt with workplace violence. Uh, let's let's take an easy one here. How about climate change? What right. <laughs> what can we do with climate change? Uh, who, many many of the scientists and the folks who are knowledgeable feel this is the number one problem that we're dealing with every place. And of course, we've seen this year's hotter than last year. This is the hottest July ever on record. It's not getting better. The coral reefs are really atrophying, we've got some major problems. Now, look, I mean, climate change is uh, a problem that all of humanity has to solve. Now, the ILO looks at that from a labor market perspective and in the following way. If it is too hot uh, for people to be out in agricultural fields, uh, to be harvesting the fruits and the vegetables that wind up on our tables that we count on as, as uh, consumers and so, um, you know, that's a very important thing. We've seen temperatures running over 100 degrees, 110, 120 degrees in places where it was normally not that hot. Uh, we're seeing the uh, the crops are failing. You know, people just can't work in that sort of heat. The, the body just doesn't uh, accept it. And, you know, there is this uh, case of renal failure uh, where people are just so dehydrated that the body just collapses. So, you know, the idea of climate change is not just about, you know, the icebergs and the polar bears. It is about, you know, the life cycle in the United States, right? when the heat uh, and we've just seen recent stories about how the circulatory system of the oceans are being impacted upon the the warmth of the uh, ocean itself and that means that fish stocks are going to be changing or depleted so we have a lot of issues that we have to address so that these workplace um, uh, sort of focus on uh, on the uh, climate change mitigation also gives us an opportunity to look at 
urban planning, transportation systems, agricultural, and many different aspects that no people really thought about. Um, we see a lot of uh, money coming out now in terms of moving from high carbon to low carbon with electric vehicles. These are very important. Uh, but we have to ensure that when we're making this change, that we also uh, look at two other uh, important priorities. One is, of course, ensuring a fair deal for women. So again, violence and harassment is very important to address and to eliminate so more women can come into the workplace. Uh, but also for that is the training of people as well, too. Uh, for example, I was just up in Albany, New York, and uh, they have a, a massive program right now on skilling and training of people uh, for the trades. So this could be HVAC, this could be about uh, uh, carpentry, uh, masonry, uh, and even uh, building wind uh, um, wind farms. So, for example, uh, the uh, the uh, the Albany uh, um, Economic Development uh, Group are looking at building the wind turbine towers up in Albany. So they have to have thousands of uh, of welders that are going to be trained. Um, a gentleman who runs the BOSA school up there was telling me that uh, employers are hiring people who haven't even yet applied to their programs for the next four years. So it is a growing area and it can uh, provide a lot of good income. And welders are making, you know, 50, 70, $75 an hour. These are really good jobs for people who don't go on to high school. Now, those wind uh, turbine towers, we floated down the Hudson and then go out through the Boston Harbor and then uh, set up the wind farms. This is creating tremendous amount of employment uh, across the United States and hopefully we'll be doing around the world as well too. So climate change mitigation uh, impacts every aspect of the work that we that we do and we want to make sure that people are future ready for those the skills that are required uh, for this new world of work uh, and also addressing a very important issue climate change which is something that will impact upon us as a species globally and we need to look at i'm glad you pointed this out we need to look at it as a macro type of issue and not think well the glaciers are melting the seas are rising coral reefs are disappearing all true but we've got every industry, every industry and every person on this planet will be affected adversely in all probability by climate change as we look at it. You were talking about the transportation system. We don't think about that. You think about jets that can't take off out of Phoenix, Arizona, because it's 118 degrees, you know, or the tires are melting on the runway. You know, the airline industry's got to deal with that. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. But it is absolutely critical, and we need to move more quickly and to really get serious in many respects. And we've got the, you know, the climate deniers, let them go have a convention or do whatever they want to do, but they're not helping solve the problem. But we really need to do that. Well, we've got so many topics, we'll never get through them, but they're, they're all important. And here's another one that's getting a lot of buzz lately is artificial intelligence, AI. There's there's information, there are facts out there about it, but there's so much speculation, it's hard to really know what's going on. How, how does ILO deal with that? Right. Well, look, AI is a natural progression of technology. You know, technology has been around since the dawn of humankind. Um, you know, this is uh, making your own tools. This is going from a uh, from a, uh, a plow to a tractor. It's going from a sailboat to a motorboat. I mean, there are different uh, technological advances that are always changing the world of work. Now, in the past, technology had uh, done the kind of dull, dangerous, physical kind of work. Now it is doing the computational and analytical work as well. So AI has been around for decades and it's embedded in our lives. Anybody who uses uh you know, these um, music services online, you know, those are algorithms. If you're using uh, GPS, you know, all of this is embedded. 
Um, and then, of course, ChatGPT last autumn, uh, when that became public, showed a very important uh, challenge to the future itself. So how do we look at digital technology and AI? And how do we look at the economic, the sociological, and the comparative employment relationships on that? So economists tend to look at the impacts of AI based on the automation of jobs and skills. Sociologists and legal scholars will you know, look at this as the legal implications of algorithm management and tools for fairness, right? I mean, algorithms are written by people. They could embed biases into those algorithms. So we have to be very, mon you know, monitor that. Uh, but from an employment relations focus, you know, we want to sh show that we can use technology in the right way, but to the service of human beings, right? It's not just technology for technology's sake. So technology now and the ABI impact on work you know, does have labor replacing or labor controlling uh, measures to it as well. And, and I think we need to sort of move beyond, you know, just, you know, uh, trying to protect, you know, the, the given jobs. We want to protect people in the workplace. The ILO is about protecting people at work and making sure that their inherent, uh, you know, uh, human rights and labor rights are human rights, that they are respected. So, but AI is growing at such a rapid pace. And because the nature of work has changed, right? I mean, there are many workers who don't go to a office any longer. There are many people who are, you know, will never be seen by the employer because they are working remotely or they're working digitally. So it's challenging, for example, the unions and worker organizing in order to ensure that people have the best benefits of AI because people are not are together in the physical space any longer, right? So the nature of work is changing. And when it comes to regulation, there's a need to have broad regulations that can set a floor on how AI can be used to make sure that it's not in a way that is harming either the employers, the employees, or the general public. You know, and social dialogue, what we call this um, exchange of information between workers and employers and government officials, that's really important to sort of creating a framework for labor rights that ensure that has the flexibility for all of those partners. So we're in it together and we need to ensure that AI works for people, not just technology for technology's sake. And of course, now you're working with the International Labor Organization, and the UN is a vast system, and you, you deal with the International Telecommunications Union, the World Meteorological Organization, just on across the board. But there is, seems to me, a definite role for the United Nations to be involved in this whole discussion of AI, because we're going to have to bring together the countries of the world. This is not something that's just going to be decided by a handful of people sitting in Silicon Valley or wherever it might be. So it's a much broader topic and one we need to move on very quickly. And speaking of quickly, <laughs> we're about out of time, but I did want to get one more in uh, in the last minute or so we have is the global supply chains. We saw how disruptive this whole COVID-19 was to the global supply chains. They're finally coming online a bit. What, what can we do to even that out to make sure that they flow more smoothly and that we don't have these major disruptions that can be life-threatening in many cases. Yeah. You know, global supply chains are uh, an amazing uh, um, uh, and a fascinating subject for discovery. Um, you know, um, what we see today in the sort of uh, global economy is you see international buyers and local suppliers. Uh, and with that, of course, we rely and depend upon how those uh, goods and uh, commodities go from, you know, uh, the harvest fields uh, to the production, to the processing, and then to the consumers that may be thousands of miles away. Um, COVID-19 had shown us, for example, that when uh, you don't have people who can work the ports because maybe they've come down with COVID or other ailments, and so uh, 
uh, people who are out in the field who may be suffering from climate change, uh, the, the the heat that's going on, or you know farmers that are planting crops and uh, you know the uh, the weather patterns have changed, so you can't really grow crops in a lake uh, that traditionally was a field. So I think what's happening now is that a lot of companies are looking at uh, an integrated approach, so not just relying upon one global supply chain, um, and they're trying to nearshore or uh, or inshore, as they say on this. Now I think uh, we have to pull back a little bit because you know globalization has brought lots of benefits to many people around the world to the consumers you know we're able to have our strawberries you know uh, every day of the year uh, for people who are living in rural areas where maybe they make investments to uh, to put in factories and that provides employment or good employment uh, for people in the region particularly for young women which I think is quite important but we have to do focus is on how the treatment of workers takes place in those environments as well too so how this will all shake out at the end, we're not really sure, but we are advising on, on steps that can be taken to improve the effectiveness of global supply chains and to mitigate uh, against any of the changes and to ensure uh, business uh, uh, continuity and sustainability. So global supply chains will continue to be a very important area. I've just returned from uh, from Boston, Massachusetts. We, through our Better Work Program, which is the Factory Improvement Project, uh, just spoke to some of the major uh, employers in this area in sneakers and jeans and textiles and electronics. Uh, and we're engaging with them because they do have a lot of issues to deal with. Again, you know, work is that nexus between the economic, the social and the political. So it's very important to get that mix right. Right. You can have a very efficient system, but of that efficient system is at the detriment of the workers themselves, people will not be available to do that work. And hence that global supply chain will collapse. Uh, we also have to look at the health of people, right? We saw for COVID-19 COVID that these lean management systems, you know, which may have 74 people on a line, starting with bare elements and then making a finished product at the end. If one person on that line has COVID, at the end of the day, everybody on that line has COVID. So we're in this together and we have to make sure that we look at a multiplicity of these issues. That's why we need to bring in a interdisciplinary approach, um, you know, looking at all these aspects, you know, not only from business efficiency, but also in worker um, relations and to ensure that these workplaces are safe and healthy and productive. And I, and I think we are going to get there, um, but it just takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of coordination. Um, I think a lot of people uh, are not really aware of how much work takes place behind the scenes, uh, but I do find overall that the workers, the employers, and uh, governments, you know, want to find solutions that are going to help not only increase the economic growth, but also the social progress. And that's very important uh, for the world to remember. That's the basis of decent work. That is the basis of social justice. And I think if we get to that point, we're going to have a very robust and effective economy moving forward. And as you said, we're all in this together. And that's true on every issue we deal with, be it health, climate change, business, whatever the case might be, and we need to work on these problems together. But Kevin Cassidy, I want to thank you so very much for a very interesting and a very informative program. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. I'm Bill Miller. Thank you for joining us today on Global Connections Television. <laughs>